This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team that actually gets to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. That's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today is the start of a new series that I'm sure I'm going to get crap for starting right after a win. Um, but the title is going to be a Sacramento worse than blank. And today we are starting with the New York Knicks. Um, very fitting after Sacramento has just played this team. And the guest I brought on to give us insight into the New York Knicks is John Macri, host of the Knicks Film School podcast and does a newsletter under the same title. What's going on, John? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I want to say just two things. One, I think you worked the reverse jinx beautifully when you uh, pitched this pod before the two teams played. Um, so I, I think, you you know, if Kings fans are happy about this win, I think they have you to thank for it, um, first of all. And, and secondly, um, I think, you know, there's what other team would you want to start this with other than, like, maybe the Timberwolves? I'm just trying to think over the last 20 years – um, have the it's basically the Kings, the Knicks, and and the Wolves is like the three teams that have been bringing up the rear in the league, right? It's hilarious. Yeah, Timberwolves was the first one I reached out to, and uh, and that <laughs> one's go. scheduled for a, a Wednesday release. So yeah, Perfect. very fitting. Um, one hundred percent. Um, let's start with that with that game a little bit here because sure. um, I think Kings fans feel feel good after it, um, but I'm a little hesitant because my understanding is New York came into this kind of cold, right? 
um, and had their offensive struggles. And for Sacramento, the issues were all on the defensive end of the floor. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, like, you know, if so me coming out of this game, I, as every Knicks fan, went into the game with, you know, all the same questions about the Knicks offense, which is, okay, what if, because, you know, Knicks obviously have struggled scoring the ball all year. Um, and they, when they make shots, they tend to win games. When they don't make shots, they tend not to win games. So my question heading into this game was, okay, um, is the how good a team's defense is, um, is is that going to matter uh, to a team with the offensive challenges that the Knicks have? And now after this game is played, I'm kind of still asking myself a question because I'm like, well. Is it just that the Kings, like, tried hard for the first time in a while? Because there was definitely, I felt at least watching the game, um, a nice sense of effort from the, the Sacramento players, especially in the second half when you guys held us to, I want to say, what, about 40 points, 43? It was a low. Yeah, low 40. Point. Yeah. So, um, or is it the fact that when the Knicks aren't, like, there's nothing basically the Knicks can do to, like, generate offense from nothing if their guys are not going to hit their shots, which, of course, they didn't. They made five threes all year. Um, so I guess for Kings fans, I would tell them that they should definitely feel good because I, I the Knicks have been able to put up points um, against other teams, and I, I think that your guys' defense definitely has something to, to do with the fact that they didn't. But I also wouldn't get too excited because, like I said, when the Knicks are struggling, like, they're, you know, they they just don't. They, there's nobody they could put on the floor that's like, okay, um, if you know Team X doesn't guard this guy, he's going to be able to go off, you know, from behind the arc or be able to get to the rim at will. Like they just don't have that player. Yeah, and you know, it's funny after the first few games, probably four games into the year for Sacramento, I was like, wow, this this team is is kind of promising. And I, I threw out, is, is this a top 15 defense? Which isn't a lot to ask for, you know. Like they have a roster where I feel like they have decent defensive lineups they can roll out there. Um, well, they answered that question for me pretty quickly, obviously. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I think that there were definitely moments where some of, because I mean, a lot of the issues to me is that you are starting and giving a large majority of minutes to Marvin Bagley and Buddy Heald, who in my mind are two of the worst players at their position at defense in the league. Um, and, you know, there's promising moments from Bagley. I, I get a lot of crap for saying that. Um, but there have been promising moments this season, and then they went to this very switch-heavy scheme that is kind of lazy sometimes. You're switching in matchups that you don't necessarily need to, making easy mismatches, and they kind of went away from the switching in this game. Um, and also, I, I think that when the game seemed um, possible to come out with a win, that the guys that, like, De'Aaron Fox and... Harrison Barnes um, really at times this year looked almost disengaged on defense. Like you're saying, maybe a little bit of an effort issue or just kind of um, disappointed, you know, their head down. I mean, you're getting blown out in, in a good majority of these games. They gave up 144 to the Toronto Raptors and lost by 20 points after being up 20 in the first quarter. Like they just looked discouraged and a little disengaged at times. So I think when it was within reach, um, that the, the effort was definitely there. And you think of the start of the third quarter, or really the whole third quarter for the Kings for sure, um, there was probably a stretch of 12 quarters in a row where they were giving up 40 points in each quarter, and uh, New York didn't pass 30 in one of these. So there's definitely progress on the defensive end. Um, the, the one aspect I, I do want to uh, 
touch on a little bit is uh, Julius Randle and Marvin Bagley because I was shocked to see some people on Twitter saying this was the best defense they had seen from Marvin Bagley all year, which is telling of the defense that we've seen <laughs> from Marvin. Yeah. Um, but, like, Randall literally turned around and mouthed at one point, this guy can't guard me, right? And it, it made me write a whole piece on it um, that's up on the King's Herald now. But, like, like Randall was really able to do whatever he wanted against Marvin, and a lot of it was being physical with, with Bagley. Yeah, and so Randall this year, he's, you know, he's such an interesting guy to talk about because at at at, at once he is both – pretty much the same guy that he's always been in terms of like what he's looking to do and what he, or what he's able to do and like his even his like his efficiency other than hitting long mid-rangers which is the one thing that's been off the charts everything else is pretty much the same even the three-point shooting he's he's shooting about what he shot a couple of years ago in New Orleans um but at the same time he is a wholly different player in that he is picking his spots so much better and um, he's had games where, like, especially the Golden State game, which is the, we played before you guys, almost, like, passing to the point of, like, overpassing, which, you know, is not a thing anybody ever would have thought would be associated <laughs> with Julius Randle last year. Um, but he really is looking to get his teammates involved, except when he feels like there is, A, a matchup that he could take advantage of, and, B, there is no double coming, and we saw this a little bit earlier in the season against the Hawks when they put John Collins on him one-on-one, and Randall was like, really? You're going to do this? Okay, fine. And he, he did, you know, to John Collins what he did to Marvin Bagley a couple of times in this game. That said, I did think Bagley had a couple of moments. Like, there was – I sent out a, a tweet at some point during the game after he just uh, – like, like, dragged – um, Bagley's like carcass into the paint and got an N one, and like he looking at him like burnt chicken. And then the next couple times he tried to do that, I, I think one time he may have drawn an offensive or Bagley drew an offensive foul. I think there may have been a turnover, just like a miss. But like Bagley got the better of him a few times, which is you know really impressive. And I do think to a certain extent, um, when because of how much he has passed this year. Randall doing that may have taken the Knicks out of their offense a little bit. And and I think we saw that in the second half when they struggled to score. Um, You know, when it it got down to late in the game and the the Knicks got within two, they got to 89-87, sure enough, those those next three offensive possessions just kind of stalled out. Uh, One of them was a, you know, if Randall had an 18-footer, which is not really the shot you want. Um, The one after that, he ended up taking a long three. Um, so, you know, say what you want about Bagley, but they came out on top and they stopped the Knicks when it mattered. Yeah, maybe I'm a little overly critical. I, I kind of felt like the moments that, like, there was definitely a highlight block that Bagley had on Randall. Um, but when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, man, if, if Randall, like, it was almost like he was soft on that play compared to the rest of them. It was at the end of the second half, and that was also one of the offensive fouls. And I felt like if he was just, physical with him that he he would have been able to take advantage of him and I think he kind of you know fully realized that and took advantage of it in the second half of the game um but obviously I mean you only can do that for so often it's hiring on guys so yeah Bagley did have his moments and like I said there's been um promising moments throughout the entire season and I think this could also be a good learning moment for him um I, I think that you know Harrison Barnes was switched on him at the end of the game under Randall um and, and also they kind of started doubling towards the end there um, but Barnes has 10 less pounds on Bagley and, and is kind of able to 
um, hold his ground a little better by just having a wider base and his feet yeah. a little further back and leaning into him. So I think it could be a t- good teaching moment moment for Marvin for sure going back and watching the film and kind of getting those fundamentals down a little better. Yeah, I know for sure. I, I think Barnes is definitely a guy. I, watching how Julius Randle played this year, I, th- I think Barnes is the better the better matchup if I was an opposing team. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean they, it, but again. You're, the fact that we're sitting here talking about this as like okay, it, it speaks to the fact that if you can stop Julius Randle, you could kind of stop the Knicks um, yep. because for as as nice of a season as R.J. Barrett has had, I'm actually in the process of working on a, a, uh, something for my Monday newsletter on him. Um, he's still not a guy that is going to really be able to consistently generate offense. Like if you look at um, his numbers this season, and it hasn't been for a long time. It's like 200 possessions that he's played without Julius Randle. The Knicks are scoring, um, I have it up here, 94.8 points per 100 possessions, which is not really what you want. Um, Now, granted, in fairness, they don't have a whole lot of offensive talent, so it's not like you're sticking RJ out there with, like, three dead-eye shooters, right? Um, So I want to – not that I'm giving him a pass, but there is some context to be added there. Um, so yeah, but again, it goes with the same theme we, we first talked about. It's like, yes, Kings fans be proud of the win. I, I would not uh, say that this necessarily portends for a, a defensive turnaround. Yeah. So let, let's lead that into some of the New York weaknesses, which obviously seems to be focused around the offensive end of the floor, but they started five and eight, which is, uh, which was obviously promising, or I'm sorry, five and three, five and three. Um, yeah. yeah they, then they, went into five and eight, which is less promising. Yeah. Um, so is it really, you know, like the, the offense and the spacing that you feel like has been the issue because there's been decent moments on the defensive end of the floor? Um, can you just kind of get a little deeper into the offensive struggles of the team? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, most – if you ask the average Knicks fan to, like, diagnose the problems with the Knicks, they're just – you know, they're going to say it's, it's the spacing stupid. Um, and to a certain extent um, – that is true. Um, they, you know, they have a starting lineup with less shooting than any other team in the league um, between um, Mitchell Robinson, uh, who is, I, I think he's at this point taken maybe two shots outside of uh, five feet in his career. Um, so, and, you know, he's a third-year player, so that's that says all you need to know about Mitch. Um, and then RJ obviously has been given the green light by opposing teams to take threes. He's um, currently shooting 25% from deep this year, and that is um, much higher than it was a few days ago because he's actually been on a hot streak, <laughs> which is crazy. I think he actually – he was, if I recall correctly, he was two for two against you guys, and the rest of the team was three for whatever, 21, I think. Yeah. Uh, so not not great. And then you have Alfred Payton, who Alfred Payton, you know, to his credit, has made, I think, 30% of the three-point field goal attempt he he has attempted this season, which is like, okay, that's not awful, right? It's, like, better than Russell Westbrook. But at the same time, like, what teams are doing when he doesn't have the ball, like, his man is routinely playing 10, 15 feet off of him to just crowd the paint. And just be, essentially be a fifth defender. So it's essentially like playing five on four on defense when he doesn't have the ball. So that's that's a big issue. At the same time, you know, Thibodeau doesn't get enough credit as an offensive coach, and he has, you know, made made chicken salad out of, out of chicken. You know what? Um, as good as 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 is possible given this starting lineup. 
Um, so I, I think it's more the fact that New York doesn't really have anybody who can just kind of break down a defense. Um, that's That's been my thing, like, RJ's made some really impressive leaps on offense, but he's not someone that can like, blow by a guy to get to the basket. He still has his struggles around the rim. Um, Randall's obviously having an all-star caliber season, but, you know, it's it, – they because it, here's the thing. They have enough shooting um, on the team between Bullocks and, like, now Burks is back healthy um, and Kevin Knox has been shooting it well, quickly is as, you know – not been as good from behind the arc as we would have expected, but like they have guys who could stretch the floor. It's and they could also, by the way, play Julius Randle at center more, which they have avoided doing. Um, and that kind of was an additional way to space it. Well, Austin Rivers, I didn't mention, he's I think above forty percent still. Um, but but Tibbs is kind of you know he's going with the starting lineup that I think he believes gives him the best chance to win. And I, honestly, for as much as I love Emmanuel quickly, I don't think he's wrong. So. In short, yes, it is the spacing, it is the lack of three-point shooting, but I think it's a little bit more complex than that, and ultimately it comes down to they they don't have a whole lot of perimeter talent right now. Yeah. And, all right, well, this leads, I have to ask you this question. Sure. Um, Does it hurt you to watch the season that that Tyrese Halliburton is having? (laughs) I figured that was going to come up. Um, It doesn't, you know, I I did my post-game on Friday, and I was like, anybody who comes out of this game and, and says that, Halliburton isn't the first thing on their mind is, is lying because he was awesome. He was great. Um, I know he had been slumping a little bit, and he just he looked awesome. Um, yeah, he came that, out and really wanted to prove a point to New York. He was it, not that, quiet And that was that. clear. Yeah, so. that was, he said as much after the game. That was obvious in how he went about his business. Um, that said, I don't – I'm not – I like apparently I don't really go on Twitter that much anymore. Apparently it was on fire on, on Saturday with people like, you know, already with their like, oh, you know, we weren't the only team that passed on Tyler Saliburton. This many other teams passed on him too. Um he's a great player and he's gonna be a really helpful piece, I think, for you guys for a long time. Um but he was not the elixir for New York, in my opinion. Um, which is to say like I mean, you would know this a lot better than me. He's, I don't think he is any team's answer at, at point guard, at least in terms of being like an engine who can initiate the offense, like break down their guy. Like I know he's really good in the pick and roll, and obviously he's shooting 50-whatever percent from three. He would help their spacing a lot. Before I say, like, you know, we should have taken him over Toppin, I kind of want to see Obi Toppin play more than six NBA games, yeah. um, <laughs> you know. The the leap from I wrote this the other day the leap from playing like Fordham and Richmond and I don't even know what other <laughs> schools Dayton played last year to you know to going against the teams that you know NBA teams it's a big one and I'd be more worried if like we didn't know that Toppin had like generational athleticism but we do and the two biggest knocks on him coming into the year I think were his defense. Um and his his whether he was going to really be able to space the floor and thus far he shot up pretty well and I think his defense has been a pleasant surprise he's also become a really nice playmaker it's just like the one thing that was supposed to be the given which is his ability to wreck guys down low that hasn't really translated yet so um, yeah Halliburton's great I, I want to see a little bit more from Obi yeah um 
I think that Halliburton actually would look pretty rough on this New York team. Um, and for the reasons you're kind of alluding to, you know, I think Halliburton, and the, this is the reason that the Fox pairing is just beautiful, Halliburton as great, is great at capitalizing on advantageous situations, but he's not going to create the advantage himself. Um, and, like, New York, like you're kind of saying, doesn't exactly have, like, the engine to really create those advantages and then swing it to Halliburton on weak side and he takes advantage of a situation. Um, and this is, again, why the Fox-Halliburton thing works perfectly. Um, if Halliburton was thrown out there and asked to be the engine of an offense, like you're saying, I think it would be horrible for him. He, if he ever gets doubled, which we haven't seen yet, or blitzed, he doesn't, I don't think he has the handle to, to get out of that. You know, maybe he passes quick enough and recognizes it um, and, and makes something happen there, but he, he really is a complimentary piece, and I think people are having trouble kind of, grasping this because obviously he's been phenomenal, um, but he needs that other primary playmaker next to him, which is why the Fox thing works well. Um, I, I Yeah, I'm interested to see more from Toppin for sure. Um, is it interesting to you only getting 12 minutes, or is this just like a typical, you know, Thibodeau plays guys that can play defense, and it's, you know, that's Toppin's struggle? I don't even, to be honest with you, Toppin to me, his, it's... Well, do you characterize like def- like what's defense to you, right? Because I feel like he's been he's shown a good amount of awareness off ball. Um, I, he's in situations one on one. He's been okay. It's like the little things, right? He's like mm-hmm. getting beat on box outs left and right, right? So that's I think technically falls under the umbrella of defense. Um, he's I honestly I think it's more a function of. It's not that Thibodeau likes to or won't like play rookies a lot of minutes. He's playing when Emmanuel quickly has it going. He has zero issue playing him, you know, upwards of thirty minutes. Um, it's more like he likes to stick to a, a somewhat regimented rotation. As far as he has his five starters, the Knicks starting five has played by far the most minutes in the league of any five man grouping, and he likes to have his five guys that go that are the the second five, right? And sometimes he shortens it to a nine man rotation. Okay. So the guy that's currently playing above um, Obi Toppin is having somewhere between an all-star and an all-NBA caliber year. I think that's as much of why Toppin hasn't played as anything else. I think what a lot of – I shouldn't say a lot. What I would like to see and what I know some fans would like to see would be more minutes, and Tibbs has gone with this on occasion, not not so much since Toppin has come back from his injury, um, of Randall and Toppin together. Because and that goes to what we were saying before, which is New York's concerns in terms of spacing and guys who could really like bend a defense. Um, are you going to have issues protecting the rim with those two as your two bigs? Absolutely. But I, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Um, you know, opens up questions about like, okay, well, where does that leave Nolan's Noel? Um, I'm not as worried about that. I, I just I want to see I want to see Toppin in space and I want to see Toppin on the floor with some other guys who have maybe a little bit of gravitational pull. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, well, I'm going I'm to take us towards kind of what the, the general questions uh, I'm going to go for the others. This one was a little different since we had a postgame. Uh, what, what were your expectations coming into the season for New York? I'll, I'll admit that I actually had them pegged as the worst team in the East, um, which, which may have been a little, uh, a little cruel, a little, um, uh, a little unfair to them. But, I, I mean, looking at the roster, like I, I looked at Detroit, which is obviously horrible right now, and thought, you know, Blake Griffin – um, is a superior talent to anyone on New York and should be able to carry him to a decent amount of wins. I'll admit I had him at the bottom team in the East. What were your expectations coming into the year? Um, I had, I did so, I mean, nine months of, months of content to fill, so I, I, I don't know what my final prediction, I'm sure I gave final, like, different numbers. Um, I think what I ended up going with was, like, 28 wins. Um, which was obviously a lot better than their over-under of 22.5. Um, but I also didn't think that, like, they would be competing for a playoff spot. Um, which, and look, they're 8-9 they're right now. Is it possible they end up with about 28 wins? Sure, that's still in the cards. I think it's also possible that they keep this up and become buyers around the trade deadline or even before and, you know, try to make some noise this year. So, Nothing would shock me, but that was my my expectation was about 28 wins. My hope, though, was exactly the same as you. I, w- I hoped for a top 15 defense, and I wanted them to stay out of the bottom five in in offense. Yeah, and what what have you seen so far that's made you change that that guess? I I know it's kind of early. Like, it is the first eight games or the latter eight games you feel more representative of the team, or is it somewhere in the middle? Uh, um, no, I think that th- actually, I think the team has been really consistent. When they when they lost five in a row, it's because they weren't making shots. When they've won games, it's because they're making shots. It's it re- they are as simple a team to diagnose as there is in the league. They are going to give you the exact same thing every night on defense. They give you the same level of effort. They have the same scheme. They execute that scheme really well on defense. Sometimes it works. Sometimes when guys are hitting shots, like the Nuggets did against us, like. Um, trying to think who else really uh, – the Nets were hitting a lot of shots against us. Like, it doesn't. And on offense, it's about are, are there guys hitting threes? And, they, and and I will say there is some fluctuation about in terms of um, how well they move the ball on offense. But I think that could be said of any NBA team, right? It's like some, some teams have segments of games where the ball just sticks and they're not moving as much. And the same is true of New York, um, which, again, when you don't have a lot of talent, like that's going to happen. So – but I think they're it's a representative sample size. I just I in terms of what's changed the most, I would say from like before the season, uh Randall, hundred uh, percent. Like they have you know, to be in the playoff mix in the NBA, you need a you need an all star caliber player. And coming into the year I didn't think they had one and now I think they do. And also, I think quickly um, emerging has been huge uh, just to give them a, a guard who can, like, do some stuff off the dribble and make a three-pointer. Like, <laughs> every team in the league has, like, three of those guys, and we had zero. So having one who could <laughs> potentially do some stuff, he draws fouls a lot. Like, that's cool. Um, but he's also a rookie, right? And then and then R.J. Barrett has been just um, – again, he's, there's there's – there's, I think there's a perception amongst a lot of Nick fans that he's going to be, like, the second best guy on a championship team someday. I've been very steadfast in that I just don't think he has that kind of game. Um, although he's he had a few moments where he, he looks like he might prove me wrong someday. Um, but he's doing a lot of other stuff to help them 
and he's like just he's still not efficient from the field, but he he is he is doing enough on offense on most nights to make me feel like he could be not the second best guy on a good team and maybe not even the second best guy on a mediocre team, but the second best guy on a team that like is in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah, I think I think he could be that and he was not anywhere close to that guy last year. Yeah, um, it, I will admit I'm very much focused on on the draft at this point. And, you know, as I turn to that focus and start this series, I'm sure Sacramento's going to go on a winning streak. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so I it, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think that from what you're saying, and interrupt me if I'm wrong, like both these teams are very much in the mix of making the play-in tournament or, or even bottom of the playoffs. And then at the same time, um, with the other competition around them in, in both of these conferences, it wouldn't surprise me if they're bottom three teams in their uh, respective conferences, so. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, so I do this daily newsletter, and, like, from right before the season started, I had a section in there, you know, College Corner, in which I was basically updating um, every week on, you know, all the guys, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, like, all, like, the um, – Jalen Johnson, uh, the you know BJ Boston, who's fallen off a lot, but like, and I was fully of the expectation of the Knicks are going to have a top ten pick. Like you could write it down 100, percent um, and it's probably going. Is it the question is, are we going to get lucky and get a top three pick, or is it going to be like a top seven or top eight pick? Now, for the first time, I really have to grapple with the fact that that might not be the case. And the reason I say that is, I think. They are, they are as volatile a situation as any in the league from the perspective of what are they going to do if they are, you know, what are we sitting here? It's January 24th. Okay, great. The trade deadline is, I believe, March, um, is it March 6th? Did I just make that up? Or no, that's the all-star break, March 25th. So we're two months away, right, from the trade deadline. If we are sitting here a month from now, and the Knicks are within two games of 500 or three games of 500, and they're, like, in the 10th spot in the East or in the 9th spot or even the 11th spot, right? And you told me they went out and got, you know, a Victor Oladipo. I, I would, like, okay, 100% I would believe you. I don't know what they're giving up for him. Um, I don't know what their palate is for, for taking on a guy like that, but I think they could absolutely be in that mix. Um, and then that kind of that changes the equation a lot. At the same time, if you told me a month from now we were talking and they were five or six games under 500 and they were in the 13th spot in the East and they started listening to offers for Julius Randle, I wouldn't put that past you either. So I think there really is a really wide range of outcomes and I'm as fascinated to see what they do as anyone. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely feel good about saying Sacramento's not going to be a buyer. Um, definitely in a in a selling position. And really, I, yeah, that's interesting to me. That, so, I, can I just ask you for is that because like yeah, I'm like you. So you're uh, you have six wins right now. Yes, six okay. and ten. Six and yes, I'm I'm looking at it right now. So you're, you're six and ten, but the but the tenth seed in the. Um, I, I, we can go a few minutes extra because I'm like really curious what you think. So the 10th seed right now in the West is probably not representative because I think it's still Denver, right? Um, last I is uh, San Antonio for now. Actually, Denver managed to go up to fifth by getting oh, one win. I think that's my, your point, right? Like the fourth God, seed has eight wins. West? I swear, yeah. I looked at the time yesterday and Denver was in the 10th. Okay, yeah. 
So, but regardless, so, yeah, because, but exactly, I think you just proved my point for me, right? Which is that there is literally a game right now, as we speak, separating four from ten, (laughs) and then you guys are two games back of that tenth seed. I think there's absolutely a world where the Kings could be better than the Rockets and the Thunder and the Spurs um, and, like, the Grizzlies and, hell, the Blazers a, a month from now because... Those like, there's some injury issues with those teams. Like there's you know obviously the rest of stuff. I don't know. I'm just I'm just really surprised. And I I just and especially since you guys have we don't need to turn this into a whole king spot. This but like you guys have Bagley, who I have to think some team out there might be like, hey, we'll you know we'll we'll give you a, a veteran piece for him. But I, I don't know what you guys what your appetite is for doing that. It's just it's interesting to me that you are seem pretty sure about that. So that's all. Yeah, and, you know, McNair, new, new GM, has definitely praised uh, future flexibility. And, I th- like, to me, you would have re-signed Bogdanovich. You would have matched that deal if you were really looking to win this year. I, I think fair. that, I think that even – I actually think they should have re-signed it, and it, he would have been fine value on that deal to get some pieces back no matter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, recently there's a quote that comes out with, with Bielitsa on the trade block, and he's not um, – getting any minutes for the team right now. And the quote is, the organization's emphasis on developing younger players has temporarily, at least, eliminated the role of Bielitsa, which is a little backwards to me because they're playing Glenn Robinson and Corey Joseph a bunch of minutes over some of these. I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit I have a little bit of a crush on some of these second rounders, and second rounders don't usually get playing time <laughs> um, in their first year. But to me, I, I think that the Kings have spent many years just kind of chasing an eight seed and maybe it's just more of my hope than anything, but I, I feel like the reason they've been stuck is because they're chasing an eight seed, and I don't want okay. them to chase a a ceiling of a first round exit. I, listen, there are a lot of Nick fans who, if they traded Julius Randle in a few weeks or tomorrow for you know a first round pick in this year's draft and like a young player, would would be dancing in the streets because they're you know. People who started the year, like, you know, fade for Cade, and they still want to fade for Cade. And this is, like, not – like, they don't – they are not happy about how the season has gone. Um, I just – it's it's very interesting to me because, like, I think there's this whole other issue, which is why I want to – I was excited for this today, that, like, you know, crappy organizations, I feel like the toughest thing sometimes is getting over the reputation as a crappy organization. Sure. And, like, the that's why – the positive buzz around the Knicks this year is it, has it maybe come at the risk of sacrificing the the realistic potential of getting a Kate or a Suggs or a Mobley? Okay, maybe. Um, but are there enough like non tangible benefits that come from it, just like to make it to make the rest of the league look at like the Knicks as like, oh wait a minute, that's a place that I can go play now and potentially win games. And I, that's why I find it interesting that you know you're you're more in line with like no let's let's just get some lottery balls and uh, and and improve the long term. But uh, you know it, it's interesting. I I think a top five pick in this draft really sets you up from there on, and then you For can sure. get some win now guys from here because I think you have an amazing one B in De'Aaron Fox. I, I genuinely think you know if your if your dreams are championship team at, at some point down the line that De'Aaron Fox can't be your number one guy. He could be a one B. But you need someone at least on his level, if not better than him. Um, and, and the only way you're getting anybody that that level to come to Sacramento is that's, a top yeah. three, top five pick. And you know, and that's and there you just know that that's the difference. It's like nothing against Sacramento, but like um, 
you know, a, yeah. a big, I don't know how else to say, you know, no, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sign there. You've said there, enough, yeah. <laughs> there, there, is, there, is, there exists at least the possibility that if the Knicks get decent, some, you know, not that there's a ton of free, but that's the other part of it, right? There's not a ton of free agents on the market in the next few years. Right. Um, so, you know, who, who knows? Um, but I guess we'll, we'll see how both of these respective years play out. Yeah, and yeah, next next games for Sacramento, the Memphis ones got canceled, which I think they could have had a real feel good um, kind of vibe going with them after New York and two Memphis games. But then they have Orlando, Toronto, Miami, New Orleans, Boston, Denver, Clippers, Sixers. So I, I think it's going to continue a little bit of a rough stretch. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if you know Heald and Barnes are are on the market and maybe their values aren't amazing at their deals. But, yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, John, giving me the New York perspective that uh, seems to kind of be all over the place. And a lot of the league is is super tight when it comes to current records right now. It it really is. Um, I, you know, like it's super tight. I mean, we the Knicks right now are within – a game and a half of the four seed, or rather, they're two games. They're within two games. Actually, they're within two <laughs> games of the two seed, yeah. and they are also within two games of the thirteen seed. So there you go. Yeah, Sacramento within three games of the four seed and a game and a half of the fifteenth seed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the, the uh, NBA is in a crazy spot right now, and it's a. Uh, Definitely entertaining, but I, I appreciate you coming on, John. Uh, you do absolutely great work. I, I definitely encourage everyone to check out your work at uh, Nick's Film School and uh, give you a follow on Twitter as well, at JC Macri NBA. Um, anything else I'm missing? No, that's it. I appreciate having me on. It's always good to talk uh, hoops with someone who covers another team because I always like to get different perspectives. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's helpful for, for my thinking about, about the NBA as well. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. Same here. I've had trouble keeping up with the rest of the league so far this year, and uh, this is helpful for me. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. Definitely go check out all the work's done at, work done at the Kings Herald and support the Patreon there to uh, support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.